But to hear this morning as we continue in our, our Jesus Stories series, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and we're going to be talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, when Patrick uh, sent me these verses and he asked me if would I be cool you know, speaking on them this morning because it's, it's the story he had planned, uh, I looked at it and it just kind of made me smile. Um, it's weird, by the way, standing here knowing that half the people are behind me, like, but I'll, I'll try to remember to spin and rotate, and your, the advantage is, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can make fun of me when I'm facing the other direction. Um, but this morning, um, when I looked at uh, this, the Good Samaritan, it, uh, that story made me smile because uh, it was 16 years ago. I've been a believer for 18 years, been saved, counted the cost, um, however you want to describe it, but... Um, 16 years ago uh, in the church, we were doing a thing called Joshua's Men, and it was a, uh, a discipling group for men that uh, we would go through a, a book each month and uh, you know get together and, and talk about it. And one of the books that we did was a, a book by a guy named Bob Buford called Halftime. And it was basically kind of geared towards men that are in that middle age range and you're going through the, the midlife crisis, or I never had one. Um, but I was, I was 40 years old at the time, and that's kind of like if, the, if you took the average norms, you know, tomorrow's, you know, promise to no man, but, you know, average lifespan. I was kind of literally at the halftime of my, of my time here on earth, Lord willing. And uh, as a newer believer, one of the uh, halftime drills that we went through is you had to come up with a life mission statement. And, like, I never had a life mission statement, maybe other than just, like, go my go, you know, it was kind of all about me. But I thought since, I, you know, I was now a follower of Jesus, and, and by his words, that means that um, I was a new creation. I had a, a new identity and purpose in Christ that I didn't have before, and a realization that my life wasn't just all about me. And so I thought it would be uh, very useful to have kind of a mission statement that expressed um, who I am and why I'm here. And it came from, as I, as I was in God's Word, uh, these, these verses that we're going to uh, cover here this morning, um, which is kind of cool. And so I'll, I'll you know, kind of cut to the chase before we, we jump into the story. I think I'm on or off. but um, And that is this. This is the mission statement I came up with uh, for my life from God's Word, and it was simply to do what I can, where I'm at, with what I have to make a difference. And as I looked at these verses again over the past week, I thought, you know what, this is really a, a, an effective mission statement for the church, for, for the, the body of Christ here on earth, that God calls us as his followers by his grace to do whatever we can, wherever we're at, with whatever we have, to make a difference in this world for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, we are in Luke 10, and we're starting at verse 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself two great commandments. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, so teacher, who is my neighbor? 
And in reply to this, Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, or each denarii is a day's wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So kind of like we do in small group fashion, I thought it would be helpful to just quickly reconstruct what happened here. And we have three elements to this story. And first is an actual historical encounter of this this expert in the law with Jesus. And learn early on that his motives really aren't the best. Uh, His intent is to test Jesus and to justify himself. And Jesus, like any good teacher, just poses a question to him. And he uses the man's knowledge of the law to get the guy to give the right answer. And then Jesus tells him simply, then do what he knows to be right if he wants to have eternal life. And that really, I think about it, that could and should have been the end of the story. The guy gives the right answer. Jesus says, go and do this. And you got what you're asking for, eternal life. But man, the expert in the law just couldn't let it go. And I don't, it doesn't tell us why. And I don't know if it's just maybe he's in the spotlight or wanted to show off his knowledge Whatever, But in a true legalistic fashion, as an expert in the law, he asked Jesus, So, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus then responds by using this as a teaching moment. And as he did so often, he uses a parable to to share what God's heart and God's mind are on a particular subject. And, of course, we have the story then of the Good Samaritan. And then we come out of the parable and it reverts back to this interaction with Jesus, again being the good teacher, he poses yet another question to the man. And the expert comes up with the right answer, of course, again. And Jesus commands him again to go and do what he knows to be right, just like the good Samaritan did. So the moral of the story, to me, is pretty straightforward. As as individual followers of Jesus and collectively as the church, if we're truly going to be disciples who live and love like Jesus, then we should be doing whatever we can, wherever we're at, with whatever we have, in the, you know, in the, to make a difference in the lives of others, to bring God glory and to advance his kingdom. That's what the Good Samaritan really did. He just did what he could where he was at with what he had, and it made a difference in the man's life, certainly, that was, uh, that was beaten. So you might be thinking to yourselves over here, <laughs> so what can we do? Um, what can I do? And, well, God's answered both of those questions for us in terms of what should we be doing and what can we be doing. And the simple answer is this. He says love. That's what we're called to do. We look in, I'm going to let God's word just speak this truth to us as we roll through some verses. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? 
if you love one another. From John 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus is commanding us to sacrificial love. In 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sisters is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. And in 1 John 4, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. I mean, that sounds a lot like the mission statement here, right? Being disciples who love and live like Jesus in this world. He's saying, if you want to be like me, love like I did. Love sacrificially. Love your brothers and sisters. And John tells us then in the preceding verse, I'm sorry, in Romans, we have this concept of love fulfilling the law. And it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to do what? To love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And whatever other commands may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see here, we see in verse after verse, God is repeatedly, continuously commanding us to love one another. He's saying, man, love everyone. Your brothers, your sisters, strangers, your neighbors. Jesus goes so far, we know, as to say, love your enemy. That's a toughie. But this is what Jesus is not only asking us to do, but he showed us. Remember, before the cross, we were at enmity with God. We were his enemies. And Jesus showed us his love. He demonstrated God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He gave his life for us. He's saying there's a sacrificial element to love. And Jesus calls us to, to love in the same way. And this is how he demonstrates that love. In Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burden, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We see the good Samaritan carrying this man's burden, literally on his donkey, to an end to take care of him. This man is showing the good Samaritan, because I guess the only good Samaritan is a dead one if you're a Jew, but the good Samaritan in this story is showing the love of Christ by carrying this man's burden. Love fulfills the law, okay? Carrying each other's burden fulfills the law of Christ. So there's a connection there that, man, there's a practical way that we express our love for each other. And that is by being burden carriers. You know, we do whatever we can to help carry these burdens of others. And that's how we love. And Jesus says this. He says, if if you hold to my teachings, this teaching of love, you really are my disciples. And he says, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set free. And I think about that. That seems backwards. It seems like first we should know the truth, and then we'd be able to obey it. But Jesus says something quite different. He says, it's not that complicated. You do not need to be an expert in the law. He says, do what I commanded you to do. That's love one another. And as we practice that, as we act in obedience as disciples, we gain an experiential knowledge of the truth. It's backwards from the world. It's not about reading it in the book. The expert in the law read the answers. He got it right in the book. What are you going to do about it? Jesus says, as you go about following his teaching, 
that's when we will experience the truth that sets us free. So back to our story. Right? The guy asking Jesus the questions is an expert in the law, and he's able to accurately you know, answer Jesus' questions, and he sums up the law and the two great commandments that Jesus gives, and it's love God and love one another. But you know, just being able to state the law doesn't mean I'm actually following or, or living the law out to its fullest. In fact, we don't get credit, we don't get cut any slack for knowing what the law says but not following it. Um, totally hypothetical. This morning, let's say I happen to forget that the clocks went forward and I'm driving 95 miles an hour up down Kalamazoo to get here on time. And I get clocked and I get pulled over by a police officer. And he comes up to the window and I don't think it's really going to matter to him and say, you know, I know what the speed limit is, officer. I'm, it's good. It's okay. I know the speed limit was 40. I'm good to go, right? He's going to go, yeah, right to jail. Or maybe to the court pay my fine. But it's, it's simply that the knowledge of the law is one thing, but putting it into practice, following it, obeying it, that's what Jesus is calling us to do here. And the knowledge of the law isn't going to prevent me from get, getting that ticket if I don't obey it. Fulfillment of the law is what matters. And so what we, what we know or what we can say really isn't the big point here. It's, it's, it just furthers the purpose of convicting us. If I know the law and I don't do it, I'm like even more guilty in some respects. So it matters to the police who are enforcing the civil laws, and it matters to God who's the, when it comes to his moral law that he's given us. So focusing on the letter of the law, not the heart of it, I mean, that's legalism, Right? And it's no accident in this story that Jesus uses, he uses a priest and a Levite, right? Um, one from the tribe of priests as the examples of incorrect behavior when it comes to the law. And the priests, remember, they're charged with performing uh, the sacrificial laws, carrying out the temple laws. Um, no one knew the law better than the priests and the Levites, and no one did more religious activity than the priests and the Levites. But knowledge of the law, what we should do, and performing religious activity isn't fulfilling the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's telling us what fulfillment of the law should look like. Fulfillment of the law looks like carrying each other's burden. Fulfillment of the law is love, and it's sacrificial love. The person who Jesus considered to be the good neighbor in this story is simply the one who acted like one. He didn't think like one. He didn't know what a good neighbor should look like. He simply acted like one. He showed love. And Jesus tells this man, this expert in the law, when he accurately sums up what the law says, these two great commandments, he goes, man, you're correct. You understand. You get a gold star. You know the right answer, but it's not enough. Then Jesus tells him, do this, and you'll have eternal life. We sometimes, I think... We run the risk, living in this age of grace, uh, of lapsing into a pattern of kind of a, a passive belief in Jesus and thinking, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, we're, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Okay, I get that. But faith is more than just a passive belief. It involves trust and it involves obedience. And we trust that Christ is the Son of God and that He paid the penalty for our sins. But the other part of faith is striving to be Christ-like in our lives as we're transformed by the Spirit and the Word of the One who has saved us. Passive belief, a knowledge, a head knowledge of who Jesus is, 
isn't what Jesus is asking us to do, teaching us to do, and commanding us to do. In James 1.22, we see, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Jesus is saying, do what it says. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus' mom and his brothers came to see him, but they weren't able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone came up and they said, you know, hey teacher, your mother and your brothers, they're standing outside and they want to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. We see in James 1.27 that religion, religious activity that God our Father accepts, is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Scripture tells us that faith without works is dead. It's dead. So if our behavior doesn't reflect and authenticate what we profess to believe, man, that should be a cause for concern. And that's a look in the mirror moment for each of us. And that's a a Lord search my heart moment. Does my walk and my talk match with what I profess to believe? If it does, praise God, it's by His grace that we're able to do that. But if it doesn't, man, we need to, we need to do quite literally some soul searching. Good, the Good Samaritan did what he could, where he was at, with what he had, to show love and to make a difference. You know, it's the, the the story doesn't say that the guy was a doctor, right? But he gave medical attention as best he could. It didn't say he was a wealthy man, yet he used what he had to provide for this injured man. It didn't say that he had all the time in the world. We don't know where he was going, but man, he took time out of what he was intending to do to care for another human being, to show them the love of Christ. Too often, I think, we use our inability to do everything as our excuse to do nothing. Hear me on that. At times we will use our inability to do everything as an excuse to do nothing. And just because I can't solve the entire problem doesn't mean that I shouldn't do anything about it at all, right? Um, there was a time that I, uh, I was on the board of a Duke at Safe Haven Ministries. We had a retreat. We're going to have this new mission statement. And it's good to step back and focus as an organization. And the mission statement came up with, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it says, um, showing the love of, of Jesus by bringing an end to domestic abuse and domestic violence. And I'm thinking to myself, man, there is no way one little organization in Grand Rapids, Michigan, underfunded, uh, outgunned, uh, is going to bring an end completely to domestic violence and abuse. But man, you do what you can. I thought that was a great aspirational goal as an organization to have. We know, you know, from Genesis 3 until Revelation 20, sin's going to be in this world. But God is calling us to show his love by doing something about it where we're at with what he's given us. I think about, you know, Beth and B.J. George, you guys know them. They, you know, have responded to a calling to help those who are trafficked in this world. going to bring an end to trafficking in the world in its entirety, but man, they're going to make a difference in the people's lives that God enables them to touch. Sister, same with you. Josie, my daughter, just got back from a mission trip to Cuba. They were doing a service project bringing clean drinking water. There's still going to be Cuba people in Cuba with dirty water now that she's back, but she built on the work that others had done and others will come faithfully behind. 
the account that we're going to give is simply this, man. What did we do with what we had where we were at? That's that's the account we're going to give. I don't. I think about casting bread, the food truck, right? I mean, we're not going to end world hunger, but we are going to feed whoever we can feed that God puts in our path. We're called by God to do whatever we can. And God doesn't call us to do things that he isn't both willing and able to equip us and enable us to do. From this parable, we're to do what we can do with what we have wherever we're at. And sometimes that's a Lord, here I am, send me, but most of the time it's right where he has us. We know that as Christians, there's no such thing as a coincidence, right? God is sovereign. I look at Acts 17, it's just one of the many verses that talk about God's sovereignty and how we, you know, we're, we're where he has us. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God has determined when and where we're born, where we live, the number of days, and what we'll have in the form of both earthly and spiritual gifts, right? And as well as the relationships and the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do for him. For us, it's a choice to love others and to love God or not. In our story, the priest and the Levite, they had the same choice, and to their name, they chose not to help. They actually, think about this, they actually went out of their way to not help. It's not like they didn't see the need. They saw the man, and they crossed the road. They went out of their way not to help. They crossed the road and ignored the suffering of the injured man, who presumably was a Jew, supposedly one of them. And it's a classic example to me of religious hypocrisy. That's what turns people away and off from religion. It's no wonder that Jesus, to me, his harshest words that he spoke on this planet was to the religious establishment of his day. Because they knew what the right thing was. They had the law, they had the word, but they chose not to do it. He called them out on how they had perverted the faith, turning it from being about a right relationship with God to being a set of rules and religious practices. And he said, you honored me with your mouth, but your heart far from me. They were more concerned about following the rules and keeping up their religious appearances than they were about loving God and loving others. So the question begs, I think, where are we crossing the road in our own lives to avoid a need the ability or the opportunity to help someone that God has put in front of it, in front of us. Think about it. Where are we crossing the road to avoid getting our hands dirty, to avoid having to give time and attention or money? It's a convicting thing. We're just missing out on meeting the needs of others that God has put in front of us. I'm telling you that the single biggest regret that I have in life, and I don't have time to get into it, but is one of those instances where I chose to avoid. God forgive me, and he has. But it bothers me to this day. I just, I just urge you to... Be faithful in choosing 
not to cross the road, to do what you can, where you're at with what you have, to make a difference. I really do. I pray that we have the eyes to see the needs that are around us. And then we have that heart of flesh that God puts in us to to do something about it. With what we have. So what do we have? Well, we all got some time. We all have talents. We have treasures. We have testimonies. And we're to use these things that God has given us to make a difference. Now you can say, I don't have time for that, right? Or I don't have enough money to take care of that whole problem. Or that's that's not my spiritual gift. Look, that's just not true. It's just not true. We all have some amount of each of these things. They're all gifts from God. But we know we don't have an unlimited amount of these things. So we have our own little economic law of scarcity going here, right? It's, you know, guns or butter. Um, it, we've got a limited amount of time, talent, treasure, and testimony. So really, it comes down to a choice. But what we do have is a choice of how we will spend and use whatever amount we have that God has given us. And that's what we'll give an account to God for. He's not going to say, hey, Mike, you know, you should have given a million dollars to whatever the cause is when I don't have a million dollars. But he's going to say, I gave you something. Did you, what did you choose to do with it? Did you choose to use it to love others and make a difference or not? How we share our time and our abilities and our money and our testimony, I think, matters greatly to God. It used to be my biggest challenge was time, right? I mean, it, that was that was my challenge. But I decided a few years ago, kind of weird, to tithe. This is more than a decade ago, but to, to tithe... of my time. I couldn't find time to get into the Word. I couldn't find time to um, be alone with the Lord. So I said, all right, I'm going to take 10% of my TV time. And I'm going to give that to the Lord. And I just can't tell you what a blessing that was. How God used that. And and I desired more. Look, we can find time for the things that really matter to us. Man, if Sparty's on, I'm going to find time to watch that game. Right? If one of my kids has something going on, I'm going to find time to be there. We will find the time for the things that matter to us. But it's a choice. It's one over another. So what it's really telling us is, where's our heart? Is what's most important to us things of, of above or things below in our, our own little world? And as for talents, we come up with a lot of excuses to cross the road if something requires us to get out of our comfort zone, don't we? But I think about like the children's ministry today, right now. And in my knowledge, there is no one downstairs teaching or helping teach our children that has like a master's degree in childhood education or early childhood development or whatever, right? They're just people that know that Jesus has called us to train up children in the way they should go. They know Jesus, and they know that we're supposed to share who he is in his word with our children. And they're doing that. They're doing what they can, where they're at, what they have to make a difference people's lives. I think of when we started attending here, Pat Stearns, man, how many generations, how many lives she touched through her faithful service. The twos and threes, Josie was sitting here today, had Miss Pat. And she did what she could, where she was at with what she had to make a difference. That's who's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Certainly doesn't take vast quantities of spiritual giftedness to to pass along and pray over Bibles now, does it? Just like we did last Sunday. But what a blessing it was for everyone who was here who participated in that. 
And we have to get past this notion that using our gifts to serve the kingdom is reserved for some select few of super gifted or even the clergy. It's just, it's just not true. I mean, if you're healthy and you're able to stack chairs, stack the chairs. The enemy will lie to us and get us to think, well, what difference can I make? There are still thousands, if not millions in this world that don't have a Bible or food or access to clean drinking water or freedom from being trafficked. It's like, what can I do with just a few loaves and some fishes? Well, I can have lunch, right? But we're reminded that with God, little is much when he is in it. And he can take what seems meager and inadequate to us. But if we're willing to just offer that up and say, Lord, here it is. Take what I've got. Use it for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. Man, he can take what's barely enough for one lunch and he can feed thousands. Do not be limited by what we can see that we think we have. We serve a God whose means, whose resources, whose power, whose love is unlimited. And I'm telling you this, God isn't asking us to fix the world. That's his job, as Duke would say. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's just asking us to do whatever we can, wherever we're at with whatever we have, to make it burn. That is what we will give an account for. For this, this is the message you heard from the beginning. First John 3. We should love one another. And he calls us to love each other sacrificially. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that church, in that person? Excuse me, but I'll say it again, using the same thing. If we collectively as a body have material possessions and we see others in need and have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in this church? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Amen? I see so many examples, though, of people in this body doing just that. They're doing what they can, wear that with what they have to make a difference. And that is so encouraging to me. I see people keeping God's commands and doing what pleases God. I see people doing, I see people in this body taking up their crosses daily and following Jesus. And it's a blessing. I talk about Sunday schools down there and helpers. You wait till VBS this summer. Watch the volunteers from this body pour out for VBS. It is awesome. The worship team, using their talent, right, to bless us in leading worship. The practice they put in. The AV team is the lights, the sound, the stuff that, you know, that goes on behind the scenes. Offering gets uh, communion gets distributed. Offering gets collected. Um, these might seem like small things, but man, God isn't, he's using a different measuring stick than what we tend to think about. Chairs get placed, they get picked up, they get stacked again. Uh, I think about encouragement. I think about the preparing of and, and sending of meals to those who have, you know, come home from having a baby or been in the hospital or sick. We have people in this body that visit people who are sick in the hospital and that are lonely. This is doing what we can where we're at with what we have to make a difference. I see it in the Shalom service ministry here that exists to do just that. I see it in our youth group leaders. I see it in small group leaders, grass cutters, people doing repairs and cleaning around the building, so much more. And I see it in the staff here, all of them using their gifts for the kingdom. It's cool. 
And I see it at Casting Bread. You know, last February, there's an expression, uh, cold, cold hands, warm heart. I know you're still out here. Um, and uh, Sage uh, Rivas, Mike and Robin's daughter, she came in at one point, you know, and I was inside. Uh, it was warm, but I was doing the praying inside, you know. That's, <clears throat> people, people have made note of that. <laughs> I go where you send me, Lord. Um, but I was inside in the warmth praying. And Sage came through the door, and she's shaking, and she said, my mom made me come in. And I said, I, she goes, hands are freezing. So I took her mittens off, and I held her hands. And seriously, I mean, if you've ever touched, like, the the steel flagpole or street sign, you know, that just, like, your hands stick to them, that's how cold her hands were. And no different than everyone else that was out there serving our guests. Church, that's doing what you can where you're at with what you have to make a difference. Man, we're blessed to be able to serve those that God puts on our path. I'm grateful for the volunteers that we have every month. Guess what tomorrow is, by the way? Casting bread. It doesn't cost you anything to spend some time. It's not going to be sunny in 70. But man, people will be here that need not just the food that we give them, but they need the encouragement. They need to see the love, the prayers. And you'll be blessed. I think it's all of our desire <sighs> alright I'm going to skip over this story because I'm running long but I am going to say this that um, this is the story of the sheep and the goats and, and you know it's final judgment and Jesus the king is saying to those on his right come who, who are blessed by my father come take your inheritance and so they come with him he's like man you're blessed because you gave me you fed me when I was hungry you gave me clothes you gave me food they're like Lord when did I feed you when did I give you a drink when did I clothe you and this is the king will reply truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine that's what you did for me that's what Jesus is saying I think it's all of our desire when our time here is done, when our work here is done, to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I don't think he's going to say to anyone, well done for not doing what you could do, where I put you, with what I gave you to make a difference. I don't think he's going to say, hey, way to not feed the poor. Hey, way to not volunteer. Well done for just sitting on your laurels and having no concern for anybody else in this world but yourself. That's not the love that he modeled for us. But when we are enabled by his spirit to understand his will and we're convicted to do it, empowered to do it, enabled to do it by God, we do it for his glory. And that's when the well done comes. If our intent is to be obedient and faithful by loving others and by doing what we can with what we have to make a difference, then let's not forget about um, what is, I think, perhaps the most precious thing that we have to give. And that's our testimony. I mean, sharing the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that can make a difference in someone's lives, not just here, but for all eternity. Right? We have this great truth. Man, let's share it. We need to be able to see those who are spiritually dead or spiritually wounded the same way Jesus did. He came here to seek and to save the lost. If we are disciples, if we are followers, if we are 
living and loving as Jesus did, man, we'll, we'll do all we can to get the truth of who he is and what he's done for this world and what he can do for them out there. I want to close uh, this morning by sharing what I think is just a perfect example of someone who totally gets the truth of what this teaching is about and is living it out. And this is a letter uh, written to Laura and I by one of our, our recent guests that we served at uh, Casting Bread. It says, Dear Pastor Mike and beautiful wife, <laughs> I agree with the beautiful wife. And it's kind of a running joke at Casting Bread. Our guests call me Pastor Mike. Because this is not misrepresenting who I am, right? I am not an ordained minister by men in the church, and I never represent that I am. But if we are believers, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. Think of the word minister. The Good Samaritan administered aid to the guy that he came across. Again, man, the work of the church isn't reserved for the clergy, Right? It's the body. We're we're called to use our gifts, our time, our talents, our treasures, our testimony to do what we can, where we're at with what we have to make a difference. And so um, I won't let anyone call me reverend. There's only one we revere, but Pastor Mike, I'll take. I've been called worse. Anyhow, she says, this is Melissa, last name. I was there for the food truck February 12th with my husband, Charles. This has been my second visit to your church and enjoyed both times highly. I had joked of you two, Laura and I, saying, oh, you got busted showing affection. Uh, hoping you both know it was of good heart and great admiration to see a loving couple that is a leader in a church providing love individually towards their community with the work of their gift hands. Also to see a wife light up in the face from her husband's sweet words is priceless. Wish I could have caught your wife's name in the conversation. Still, Laura. Um, I know, Mike, you said that we're all imperfect individuals, and you said that while this is true, we are all still beautiful to God and greatly loved by Him, just as we are. Amen for that. And we all have a testimony of our journey of individual paths as we connect with others. My letter is, however, getting long, is I would like to give you both a Valentine's gift of a dinner from one couple to another. We don't have much in many areas, but we have the finer things that money can't buy and have been blessed through the storm we have been venturing through this past year and conquered the storms of the past. Amen. I do volunteering because I love to give, and this year with working two jobs uh, to hold us up, it seems all I had to give was my heart. This month, my husband finally got his Social Security. We prayed specifically about that in January, praise God. And it has set our finances to a more balanced position. We still have a ways to go, and in six weeks I'll be out of work to care for him after his surgery. But the Lord will provide as we need, as he has always done. So after a novel, please have a beautiful Valentine's. You're in our prayer and hearts. Thanks for all you do. We appreciate both of you, Melissa and Charles. And she put $30 cash in the envelope. I can't tell you how that humbles me. That a person who's been here twice to be served by this church because they didn't have enough food, who knows they're going to be out of work because her husband's got additional back surgery, would say, man, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you a blessing. And I don't know what blessed me more, that 
you know, the encouragement. She did what she could where she was at with what she had to make a difference. I don't know if it was her last 30 bucks, but I know her words encouraged me. And that money's gone to the Casting Bread Fund. Folks, this is the example that we should be living and following. We are called to do what we can, where we're at, with what we have, to make a difference in people's lives for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Will you pray? Father God, I'm so grateful uh, that you give us the truth of your word, that you give us a purpose and a mission in this life. Lord, I'm thankful that you can take the meager things that we have and turn them into just amazing things and making differences in people's lives. God, I pray that we have the eyes to see and just have the faith to act, to show the love to others that you showed us, Jesus. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, you can stand with us as we continue in our time of worship. Uh, Church, I want you to know that our prayer teams are going to be around the outsides of the room. I love that verse that Pastor Mike shared, Galatians.